Hello and welcome to The Bikini Bottom of It, a podcast in which we explore the significant and complex symbology of the 12-season-long television masterpiece, SpongeBob SquarePants. We're planning to go episode by episode and plumb the depths of the philosophical and moral teachings the late Steven Hillenburg left for us. My name is Daniel, and I'm one of your two hosts. I'm a biochemistry and cell biology major at the University of California, San Diego. I uh, am an editor for the online team at Saltman Quarterly, and I work as an undergraduate research assistant in neuroscience. Uh, In the fall, I'll be pursuing my doctorate in molecular biology at the University of Southern California. Uh, I'll bring my near minor in psychology and my own reading to the table, as well as my years of SpongeBob viewership, both casual and analytical. I expect my background specifically through the study of Western literature and foundations to additionally aid in my analysis. And I'm Jose, your other host. I recently graduated from the University of California, San Diego, and am planning on attending Westminster Seminary. I'm a former kayak tour guide in San Diego and a current seasonal lobster diver. In addition to my experiential maritime knowledge, I'm going to bring uh, extensive philosophical and historical background for my degree in public law and political science. In each recording of Bikini Bottom of it, either me or Daniel will present an argument about the symbols and meaning of an episode of Spongebob. The other host will have limited limited familiarity with the argument being made and is going to act as a skeptic and a host uh and as a skeptic and critic of the case both hosts have watched the episode and taken detailed notes but only one host has prepared an argument hopefully we will engage in an enlightening discussion yeah i'll be the first to make an argument beginning with episode one of the series help wanted uh we're skipping the pilot before i start my argument jose will briefly summarize the episode for the listeners who haven't watched it yet or haven't watched it in a while yeah. So if you haven't watched the episode, uh, the first episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, I'm just going to go run through it real quick uh, through uh, a trusted resource, uh, Spon- Wikipedia. So, yeah, I'm just going to read it right now. <laughs> In the underwater aquatic world known as Bikini Bottom, a French narrator introduces SpongeBob SquarePants, an ecstatic, hyperactive, optimistic, naive, annoying, but re- rather friendly, young, yellow tube sponge preparing to fulfill a lifelong dream and passion by applying to be a fry cook at a fast food restaurant the crusty crab much to the annoyance of the restaurant's cashier and spongebob's grumpy neighbor an octopus na- named squidward tentacles spongebob then becomes nervous and reconsiders applying for a job at the restaurant until his best friend a starfish named patrick star convinces him otherwise humored with spongebob's vulnerability gullibility and impenetrable enthusiasm and innocence both squidward and the restaurant's proprietor mr eugene crabs a crab <laughs> decides to manipulate spongebob whom they secretly consider unqualified for the position by sending him on an impossible errand to purchase a seemingly rare high caliber spatula soon after his anxious departure five buses containing crowds of ravenous tourist anchovies stop at the crusty crab its abundance of passengers furiously demanding meals unable to satisfy the anchovies hunger and alarmed by the mob squidward and mr crabs are left helplessly dealing with the unsatisfied crowd not long before spongebob returns from his errand having fulfilled the request of mr crab and finds a mechanical spatula which he uses in speedily whipping up bundles of crabby patties for the anchovies and satisfying their hunger after the mob subsides spongebob is welcomed as a crusty crab employer much to squidward's dismay after mr crab leaves Patrick orders a Krabby Patty and is hurled from the establishment upon a mostly unseen and audibly manic reprise of SpongeBob's cooking feat. The episode ends with Squidward calling for Mr. Krabs. So I'll, I'll take it back over to you, uh, Daniel. That was uh, an extremely well-written summary, Wikipedia. Um, I hope to be able to match that in the future episodes. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of adjectives. <laughs> there was, dude. It was, I was there. It took me back. Um, 
<laughs> okay. Yeah, so basically, I just wanted to sort of dive in from the beginning here and kind of talk about my, my frame of mind as I was coming into what I was trying to kind of suss out the meanings of this episode. And mm-hmm. um, I was really trying to give it that, that first watch experience of that space where you know that like Hillenberg and the writing team are going to be anticipating that things that are going to become tropes in the show will actually be hitting us pretty hard right off the bat, right? So in particular, the thing that was standing out to me was the theme song and just sort of this this way that they're trying to set the pace for the show is, is a man, uh, a pirate yelling, are you ready kid at me? Uh, mm. And it kind of, it kind of got me into an exact, like an existential mind frame. I think um, just sort of sitting there thinking like, what is it? Like, am I ready? What does it mean to be ready? You know? Absolutely. Um, what, and, are, what are we ready for? Right. What can a person even be ready for? In um, mm. sort of that, that space of like, am I ready? What does that mean? Um, and sort of as I'm watching this episode, there's key moments that stand out. Um, I don't know if it was covered in the summary, but, you know, SpongeBob jumping out of bed bright and early in the morning. Um, he's passing a, a gym in his house. He stops briefly for a workout. There's a sign that says, I love pain. I'm kind of wondering what that's about. Right off the bat, I, I'm having my reality questioned where the narrator comes in. Mm. And one of the first things you hear is like SpongeBob's in a pineapple and the narrator asks or, or rather says like, of course, he lives in a pineapple, you silly. Uh, and I'm sitting there and I'm already kind of off kilter because am I ready? And then he hits me with like, he calls me silly, which, I, you know, that's offensive. <laughs> so I'm just trying to like enjoy my show and I'm already kind of being attacked. And I'm, I'm sitting here and something's kind of hitting me about this show about, you know, SpongeBob waking up early in the morning, rising to go seek this group of people who he, he runs into. And they, and he, you know, he asks them for this thing that's important to him for employment, this thing that he he obviously idolizes, holds in high esteem. You know, uh, Patrick greets SpongeBob as he leaves his house the first thing in the morning and says, um, "Your first words were, can I take your order, sir?'" So I'm, you know, it's obviously that this is this is something of even a god to SpongeBob, and he comes and he, you know, he asks these two people who have power over it, and they mock him, and send him on this mm. this mission to go find this thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to kind of understand it through this existential mind frame, and I start to come into this realization that. You know, Are You Ready Kids is this existential metronome by which SpongeBob is setting its tempo, right? Um, mm. This this sort of beginning of this this existential undertone that I, I think you and I can both agree kind of underlies the show. Um, yeah, where absolutely. You know, we're trying to explore challenges in a postmodern society. So this is kind of the takeaway that I end up having it as I'm watching it. And so, yeah, basically my, my argument today, Jose, is going to break down into five points. Which is Ooh, five points. Let's do it. Yeah. So the first is that that are you ready, kids? Is an existential metronome. Uh, mm. And uh, the second point ends up being SpongeBob episode one. And I think Hillenberg and team were pretty smart about some of the things they did to sort of obfuscate this, but um, it, it parallels Frederick Nietzsche's uh, Madman in the Morning, uh, one of his his uh, short stories from his his work, The Gay Science. Um, Interesting. With key breaks in the story, and I can kind of run through that for you. Um, I could even read it to you if you think that would be helpful. Um, it's short enough. Okay. But I, I have quotes from it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's this parable of the madman is the name of it that he wrote in 1882. Um, okay. So, yeah, that's my second point is that SpongeBob, this episode runs as a parallel to it, but it has key breaks. And there's a, a, the key difference in this story between it and the madman in the morning is that SpongeBob returns in this. Um, mm. And I think that's that's sort of a commentary on 
like this deus ex machina, these, these sort of Greek narrative tropes and tragedy. And that got me sort of in this mindset of, okay, you know, Hillenburg and his team are obviously pointing me to uh, to Nietzsche. To something, yeah. Right, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, Nietzsche, okay, Greek tragedy. Like everyone knows that Nietzsche's first work was the birth of tragedy, right? Mm. This, this discourse on how tragedy is developed. Um, and I, I realized, oh my goodness, SpongeBob is the lyric genius. And I'll, I'll come back to what that means later. Uh, but that brings me to sort of this last point, and that's the purpose of the show is unveiled. And my argument is going to be that SpongeBob exists to help users combine um, sort of dream elements with, with comedy elements, reality, mixing them all together to have a place to sort of pair the absurdity and the awfulness that we see in the world with our dreams. And that it gives the re- viewers this place to rest. Um, hmm. And that SpongeBob manages to stitch this reality and this dream together um, in the face of all the pain. So I'm going to I'm going to kind of move through that starting with Let's do it. Um, sort of my defense of Are You Ready Kids is an existential undertone and this sort of uh, narrative you know parallel to this madman in the morning. So I want to start with mm-hmm. sort of uh, how the madman parable begins and it says have you not heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours and ran to the marketplace. And I think that that right off the bat just sort of struck me in the mind because I I think the key thing in this episode is this giant foghorn kicks off, right? Bright and early in the morning, mm. SpongeBob's up. And he, he wakes yeah. up and he literally runs to the Krusty Krab, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you've got this madman crying incessantly um, out and he's repeating himself over and over again. In his case, he's saying, I seek God, I seek God. But I think you've got SpongeBob running, yelling, I'm ready, I'm ready. Um, mm. And as I, you know, I've kind of mentioned with the employment thing being so important to him, I think, I think you could see that the two are not actually that far off. Um, and I think it's interesting because uh, the madman ends up on this rant and he's asking these questions. And among them is who gave us the sponge to wipe away the horizon, right? How could we drink up the whole sea? And I'm sitting there thinking like, man, these are things that SpongeBob does in the show. He wow, literally drinks up the that? whole sea. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Isn't it? Yeah, I feel like you're convincing me just a little bit. Yeah. I think you need to keep going, but... Uh, yeah, dude. Wow. I mean, I, okay. don't, I don't know if you have any objections just yet, but, I, you know, I can I can keep at it. Uh, I think I think the first thing... I think the first thing that I think about, it's not necessarily an objection, because at the beginning of the show, he dude. asks, are you ready, kids? How can we be ready for something that we were never prepared for? We didn't know what was hmm. going to happen. There's, there's absolutely no way that we can prepare for anything, right? right. He's just going to thrust us into this world, right? And we don't necessarily know what we're ready for, but they're asking us to be ready. It goes on whether we're ready or not. Right. So I, I'm kind of tracking with, with where you're going. Okay, I appreciate it. Yeah, so I think that, yeah. And I mean, man, even SpongeBob, as he's yelling, I'm ready, he, he breaks for a moment. He yells, I can't do this at Patrick because he's mm. leaving his house. And I think... You're right. Yeah. It's the, the being ready itself is, is a hard, it's a tall order. It's an impossible task. Um, but yeah, we see SpongeBob. I mean, he, you know, he's paralleling this madman. He approaches Mr. Krabs and Squidward. And in the Madman in the Morning parable, um, you know, after the, the madman finishes his speech, the, the, the people he's speaking to mock him, right? They begin mm. to make fun of him. They send him to go look elsewhere. Um, they ask him where the thing that he seeks is. Is it, is it missing? Is it hiding? Is it afraid? And um, 
I mean, that's that's almost pretty one to one, as I understand it. I mean, you you were covering the episode summary, but as you know, Mr. Krabs and uh, Squidward both are sort of making fun of SpongeBob in the same way, right? Yeah, um, they don't believe that he can get it. Right, they think it's impossible for him. Yeah. But this is the point where it breaks off, right? Is is that's where the parable ends, right? Uh, the madman throws his lantern on the ground and he says, "I've come too early. My time is not yet," and he walks off, right? So then I'm left. I'm left in the drift, Jose, because I'm I'm sitting here yeah. wondering, like, okay, well, where now, Hillenburg? Like, are yeah. you are you finishing this parable? And that's 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 where they set up for this this moment where these anchovies come in, right? And, Absolutely. Um, Sp- SpongeBob's gone. He's been sent away by these two, uh, and it, you start to get this really strong tragic element. Uh, yeah. And uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the strong tragic element because all of a sudden when the person that could save them is gone there's this tidal wave right right thank you yes they think that they think that they're the the people that are better than spongebob but then all of a sudden their doom comes forth yes and they have no savior yes thank you my critic yes and i I, (laughs) (laughs) sorry i'm trying to um very serious yeah so you know uh this this tragic element where we see mr Krabs and squidward trying to survive this onslaught as they climb this pole in the center of the room uh, and you've got Krabs just crying out this is the end goodbye mr mm. squidward and you know squidward begins to cry and he says goodbye mr Krabs." Uh, and you're you're watching tragic this. Yeah, and you're almost the chorus in this situation. Your heart is broken for these two men. I mean, despite their cruelty, do they deserve to perish? I don't uh, think in, so. In, in such a way as that. Right, to be torn apart by this, this, this crowd, these, these main ads that have come in to, you know, to rip them limb from limb. You know, it's, it's violent. It's awful. Uh, Absolutely. And, I mean, this children's show has just already put us in such an emotional place. And, uh, the thing that I start to realize is, oh man, this is this is a tragic story, right? This was their hubris that did this to them. Um, yeah, and I'm pointed to to Nietzsche's work, and I I think this is where Hillenburg really starts to this is where Hillenburg really starts to test your uh, your knowledge of 19th century German philosophers is he Absolutely. wants you to, to make this leap, you know, from the one story to the next, uh, and I, you start to see and. I don't know if all of our viewers are familiar with The Birth of Tragedy. I mean, uh, I, I I did read only the first 70 pages for this argument, but they, were, <laughs> <laughs> they, they weren't fun. Um, but as best I could tell, right, uh, you've got these competing ideals of man that, that Nietzsche is setting up, right? And one of them is uh, represented by the Greek god Dionysus, and the other is represented by the Greek god Apollo, right? And Dionysus, 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 is uh, this god that represents... Uh, wildness of reality, the harshness of reality in the sense that he's all about pleasure and sensation and, uh, you know, partying and wine and uh, these sort of of real hedonistic attributes, right? Whereas Apollo is this Mm -hmm. god of dreams, right? Mm. And in Nietzsche's estimation, the reason the Greeks could create these beautiful tragedies is that they had these two competing figures that were synthesized in tragedy. Right, you could put together this dream state, this this idealism, with this gritty hedonistic reality of man, and when you get it, you've got 
this this Venn diagram in which you start to have uh, life, right? The realities of life and how you overcome it. And the Greeks mm. find tragedy as catharsis, as this way to understand the victimhood of their, their situation. Um, mm-hmm. So the message of the birth of tragedy is that uh, Greeks go through suffering and they find meaning in it and they find meaning through the life they live. And the meaning is shown through these two things being synthesized. And both both alone are destructive, right? The the Apollonian the Apollonian tragedy, um, their their sort of lifestyle, the the downfall that they can have is that they only live in the the fair appearance of the inner world of fantasies. That's what Nietzsche says. Mm. And I start to think about this, and I say to myself, well, of course he lives in a pineapple, you silly, this fantastic thing, right? That SpongeBob <laughs> exists. In, <laughs> that SpongeBob exists in this inner fantasy, right? Yeah. And you've got Dionysus living only in this ecstasy and revelry, right? And I I start to realize, Jose, what does ecstasy and revelry look like in the episode to a dangerous degree, right? Hmm. It's the the anchovies. Yeah, interesting. Right? Each one himself feels not only united, reconciled, blended to his neighbor, but is one with him. It's pure id. It is pure just action. And listen to Nietzsche describe this group. He has forgotten to work and speak and is on the point of taking dancing flight into the air. Does that sound like something to you, Jose? It sounds like the anchovies to me, Daniel. Yeah, dude, it is. And he, wow. he talks about how these, this group that is so blended together is in the danger of entering into feverish agitation and into detestable cruelty. Almost as though they were going to murder two people who were just trying to run a restaurant. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what's interesting is here we are at this inflection point, right? Where the story can go one of two ways, right? Mm. It goes the way that it goes, but there's this other way that it could have gone if Night if Nietzsche himself wrote it, right? And I'm wondering, so SpongeBob was created. This first episode was uh was Put out May first, nineteen ninety nine. Wow! This is during a time of of a lot of uh, excess. There was a lot of progress, a lot of positivity. There was mm. a lot of good things going on. I, if if I'm correct, there was actually a national surplus, right? Wow! Uh, for the first time in a really long time. And you know, this is this is right before nine eleven, the two wars, the Great Recession, wow, yeah. uh, all of these crazy things. So I wonder if Hillenburg was in the time that uh, the Man Men in the Morning was written, it probably would have gotten Nietzsche's way, right? Yeah. But because it's in this cultural moment, wow, right? It takes it takes this nihilism, right? But it it puts an American spin on it, mm. right? It's it's like American positive nihilism right right where right. crazy things happen but it, it's all okay at the end right it's this resolution of it like oh man life can exactly be brutal. right thank you yes so I, I and i'm with you on this and you've got this this these two things to be reconciled right spongebob's inner dreamlike appearance which you could expand out into society and i'm sure that's what hillenberg was trying to do of these idealistic people who were expecting things to keep going well right Mm-hmm. The, the surplus exactly. to stay, the thing to last. And then you've got this, this contingent of these, these almost sort of anchovy-like groups that are more pessimistic by nature, right? They're, Y2K mm. is coming. Oh, no, the world might end. What could happen, Absolutely. right? And, and you've got this attempt to reconcile these two things, right? And Absolutely. in that attempt to reconcile, Nietzsche, in his writing of um, 
of the birth of tragedy, he, he talks about this solution, this individual. He calls them the lyric genius, right? The mm. writer, the one that can reconcile the Apollonian and the Dionysian. And I'm just going to read straight from page 62 of the birth of tragedy here. Yeah, um, go ahead. Um, okay, here in the extremest danger of the will, right? The will being the anchovies in this case. Here in the extremest danger of the will, art approaches as a saving and healing enchantress. They alone are able to transform nauseating reflections on the awfulness of absurdity of existence into representations where it is possible to live. These are the representations of the sublime as the artist's subjugation of the awful and the comic as the artistic delivery from the nausea of the absurd. An individual who brings comedy into awful situations, right? And his SpongeBob flies into the Krusty Krab and, yeah. and tiptoeing through the tulips plays this off-kilter, terrible song, right? Yeah. This song that's only since, I think, been used in horror movies. No one else has ever once listened to it on purpose, right? It's Absolutely. only been horror movies. As he comes in, and he's this delightful little optimistic character, and, and he saves them, and it's hilarious, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the masterpiece of what Hillenburg's doing here. Is he's, he's unveiling the purpose of the show. SpongeBob is this this ongoing lyric genius that's going to give the viewers this rest um, as he stitches comedy and reality together. Um, So I guess that's, that's, that's my sum total argument. Um, I mean, I think it's, I think it's clear. Yeah. The the episode was targeted at this, this sort of Nietzschean understanding of uh, the harshness of the realities that we undergo. Absolutely. And I think what, what do you think that that says to now in retrospect, right? they didn't know what was going to happen in just two years. They didn't know what was going to happen in just nine years after that, mm. right? The 9-11, the Afghanistan war, Iraq war, the Great Recession, the the great coronavirus, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like, it's like he presents an answer before there is a problem. And, yeah, what do you think about that? I mean, I think that, it fits into this concept of uh, Hillenburg trying to paint a reality in which he gives comedy um, that tackles through this dream, this dream world that he's created, just the harshness of the realities that we live in. I mean, that that we're going to, I mean, it feels especially pertinent today. We're, we're finally getting around to recording this because, you know, we're trapped inside for coronavirus. And Absolutely. Like, we have no idea what's going to happen. Um, for giving us how that, long? Dude, that escapist respite of, of a show that is just pure bliss. Um, I, I think it fits. I think that's what he was trying to do, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I guess it begs the question is, were we ready? Mm. Even mm. knowing these things, when push comes to shove, right? When rubber hits the road, is anyone ever ready? Yeah. SpongeBob had been training for his entire life. Right. Right. And as soon as he got out that door, he said, I'm not ready. Right. Yet he did do it. Right. What do you think that says to the human experience in the face of, of all of these issues? I think that... <laughs> I, think that it, uh, <laughs> um, I think that it exists apart from feeling, right? You've got, mm. uh, you've got what you've got within you. And we're all, we're all up to the thing that is before us. And I think... There's nothing that we can't handle, um, given the right the right mindset, the right optimism, and um, readiness has very little to do with it. I think you can only find out yeah. if you're ready in the moment. There's no way to answer that question. 
But I would say that, that Hillenberg's suggestion to this almost dark, open-ended question is that you, of course, you're ready. You know, you mm-hmm. have no other option. You are ready. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. As hard as that may be. Yeah. It, it speaks a little bit to the nature of the human spirit. Mm. Like oftentimes, actually, we're we're never ready. Like we we think we are, but when things happen, we're not. But I think time and time again, I mean, I might be proven wrong one day, but we always end up d- getting past it, getting through it, right? And mm. so I think in these times, in these times of of our whole world turning upside down, systems not seeming as solid as as they were only two or three weeks ago, just this idea that, look, we're two or three weeks in and we're still alive things are things are slowly but surely getting better and i think this episode of spongebob really does speak a little bit into this this human experience that we're we're living through right now Mm. yeah no i agree i agree every step of the way dude heck yeah yeah i think that's a man that's a note to end on isn't it yeah i think so i think just sorry go ahead no just letting everybody be ready you know yeah yeah that at the end of the day dear listener uh you may not you may not have been ready for this thing you may not have uh even known that it was coming Mm -hmm. but you're still here and what are you gonna do now yeah yeah Hmm. well there we go Dude, let's flip it on its head. I, I mean, I'm going to end it with this, right? You are ready, yeah. kids. You are ready. You are ready. We give you that. And I hope, absolutely, and I hope that you're ready for these 12 seasons that we're going to go through. Dude. Digging <laughs> in through the troves of, of depth that SpongeBob has for you. Every so episode. You can learn. Absolutely. Our position, our our belief is that Steven Hillenburg was a was a darn genius. A prophet even. I mean, just an oh. incredible man. Yeah, absolutely. And uh yeah, may we may we dig through these depths with you, listener. I hope you like this episode. Um stay tuned for more. Like, share, and subscribe, I guess. Is that is that what people say? Yeah, I mean I guess we have to make an Instagram page for this. Yeah. I want a Twitter but, account where people can yell at us about how bad we understand these works we're explaining. Because I, I so. am a biologist and I did just talk about Nietzsche for like at least 20 minutes. And I don't... <laughs> and I don't think I'm qualified. And I want someone to tweet at me. <laughs> and I will be talking about Marx uh, yes. in this next episode. So if you want to understand how SpongeBob fits with Karl Marx... Join Stay us. tuned, because we're going to find out together. Two weeks or something, dude. I don't know when it's up, but, like, you know, we got time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, guys. All right. Talk to you Signing later. off. Yeah. Bye.